John chapter 5, verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. May God add His blessing to the reading of the Word. You may be seated. Is anybody here familiar with a man named Malcolm Gladwell, the author? Anybody read any of his things? If not, I really recommend his book, David and Goliath. He wrote one called Outliers, one called Blink. And his first book was called Tipping Point. Tipping Point was written in 2006. It is on the list of the hundred most influential and important books of the 21st century, squeaking in at number 93. But on the list is better than not because thousands of books are written and none make that list like his did. But the book Tipping Point talks about Tipping Point. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's where an idea comes to be accepted and mainstream rather than a trend or a phenomenon. You know, it's not obscure or um, unknown or uncertain in the public's eye. But for it to become mainstream and accepted, it has to hit, as Malcolm Gladwell says, critical mass. It happens at 4% of acceptance in our uh, society. It also has to hit the threshold, the boiling point for it to become popular and well-known. Maybe you're familiar with tipping points where an idea like a touchscreen phone, when it first came out, people thought it was weird. I was one of them. I remember I said, I will never get away from a physical keyboard that you would slide out of the phone and type on it because I can't feel the numbers on the screen, so I'll never use it. I've had an iPhone for, I don't even know how long, but most of my touchscreen phone career or life. But that which was introduced many years ago has become common. When it first came out, it was unique, not well-known, pricey, and limited in acceptance. It was trendy. And then it became mainstream. That hit its tipping point, and people accepted touchscreen phones. And now Nokia is pretty much out of business, and those who make touchscreen phones do quite well. That's what tipping point's all about, where it goes from not knowing about it to everybody knows about it. And I have to tell you, 
We have a tipping point in us when we change what we believe and what we do based on that. Y'all ever see the movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner? And uh, I just forgot his name again. The voice of uh, Mufasa. Earl, Earl Stanley Jones? James Earl Jones, that's it. James, thank you. James Earl Jones is the voice of uh, Mufasa and, and read the Bible to us in other works. But in that story, there's a tipping point. And y'all might have remember this, but if you don't, I'm going to give you kind of the scenario. A man basically plows down his cornfield and puts in a baseball field. And all these old players from history of baseball come out and play. But only the people who believe that they're real and can see them. And the man who owns the farm, which is Kevin Costner, his brother's a banker. And he keeps telling him, you're looking at nothing all day. And your child sits here and looks at nothing all day. And you're you're in foreclosure. You need to sell this farm or you're going to lose everything. Remember that? And one day, they're out there watching and... The brother comes and says, tomorrow's the day we're going to foreclose. You've got to sell this farm today. And he says, we're not going to sell. And at that moment, his little daughter, who's eating a hot dog, falls off the bleachers and starts choking. And one person says, I'm going to go call 911, get an ambulance. We need some help. And one of the characters says, no, wait a minute. And on the field... It's a baseball player fulfilling his dream of playing baseball who's a doctor. And they look out at the doctor on the field. The the brother who can't see anything wonders what they're doing. And they watch as this man has to step across a threshold to become the doctor again and not the baseball player. He steps across the threshold. He becomes his older self as a doctor, comes over and performs basically removes the chalk dog she's choking on, uh, kind of like the Heimlich, but a little different maneuver. And uh, the brother, who didn't see anybody on the field at the time, goes, where'd all these people come from? Where'd this guy come from? Oh my gosh. And in that moment, he said to his brother, you cannot sell this farm. I don't care what you do, do not sell this farm. You're not selling it. And they're all laughing, right? He hit his tipping point. He went from obscure, not accepted phenomenon that these people are staring at nothing to, I'm in. I see it. I'm with you. From 100% against to 100% for, that was his tipping point. Powerful scene. And... uh I love that scene. It's my favorite scene in the movie besides him playing catch with his dad at the end. That one, I think, makes all of us grown men cry. In this story, where the man is told by Jesus to pick up his bed and walk, a miracle happens. Scripture records that is when Jesus said that, it says, immediately the man was made well. And then... He took up his bed and walked, just like Jesus said, on the Sabbath day. Now, you would think, after 38 years of wanting to be healed, that he's healed, 
Now he believes in Jesus and has accepted God as his uh, source of healing. You would think that, but we find that's not the case. Just because God does something for you in your life or answers a prayer that you've been struggling with or needing a prayer to doesn't mean you become grateful. Doesn't mean you accept God and Jesus and all he says he is as real for you. There's some people who God does a work for and they stay as they are rather than change. So when does the point occur? I asked myself this question, some pastors too. They said, it's a good question. When does this point occur that we go from God's a good idea to I'm all in, Jesus is God, He's holy, He's Lord of my life, I'll never leave Him. When does that happen? What's it take? When do we forsake all others for the first love and the lover of our souls? This man in this story, it could have been a turning point. Could have been a change. But he's unwilling. Why do we remain unwilling? And what's this man's story anyway? We don't get the internal glimpse of his psyche so much, but we do know that he hasn't changed. In verse 11, when he's questioned by the Jews why he's carrying his bed, listen to what he says. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Do you hear that? It's the same thing he said when Jesus said, do you want to be made well? He said, I got nobody to put me in the water. Now he's saying, this guy made me. It's always everybody else's fault. What's wrong with the man? All sorts of excuses why he doesn't believe in God. Well, he told me to walk, so I'm walking. It's Jesus' fault. He didn't know who Jesus was yet. It's Jesus' fault. And they said, well, whoever told you this, let's get him in here and let's see why he's healing on the Sabbath and making you violate it. Because this is a troublemaker. You understand, the man is not saying, I was healed and I want to walk and see and joy in my life because of this man and I'm thankful I get to walk. Instead, he said, he told me to walk. It's his fault. I'm not responsible for my choices. Other people were when I couldn't get in the water. This man is because I violated the Sabbath. He doesn't own what he owns. Who he is. You can see that, can't you now? Just looking at his two responses we get. Both of them blame somebody else for his problems. You know, I think it's kind of ironic. There are only two times that I can think of when we do that. When we're pulled over by a police officer. Well, you know, I was in a hurry. And so, because I was in a hurry, uh, or I'm late to work. So, my work, you know, and, and we, we put it on work, or we're in a hurry. Second time <laughs> is when we're a teenager. Ah, maybe even younger than that. 
Why'd you do it? He hit me first. It's his fault I made that choice. I decided to change my tactic. I love this. I didn't say it's a new liberty. You guys get this bonus story from this. It's so funny. There's a boy on my bus always blaming everybody else for what he does wrong. Always. He hit me, so I hit him back. It's his fault. Well, I got my opportunity to put my new tactic in place. And uh, he's getting off the bus. He says, I hit him, but he shoved me. And I said, I'll write you both up. You for hitting him and him for shoving you. He goes, no, don't worry about it. You see, he didn't want to take responsibility for his own. He just wanted the other person to get the credit for the problems in his life. Well, that's what this guy was doing. And that's at a third grade level. Whew. Man, I don't like to know that that's true about some of the things I say. Or you may say some of those things and not unwillingly want to admit it. But there's this story popped open, right? Blaming other people. Now, you might think, well, isn't that normal? No. Because you compare this story to the man in chapter 9 who was born blind. Jesus heals him. He doesn't know who did it. Jesus heals him by saying, putting mud on his eyes and go wash. Pool of Siloam. So man goes and washes and sees. And the people who see him now seeing said, how's this happen? He said, well, the guy who told, who told me to wash healed my eyes. And they said, well, that's a sinner doing it. And listen to what this man said. Well, that's an incredible thing. How can a man who's not godly Healed a blind. We've never heard of that. And so he starts teaching them. He doesn't go out looking for the man to please the temple leaders. Rather, he argues with them about what God can and cannot do. And they kick him out of the temple. Rather than comply with what they say is godly, he understands what godly is because he had a tipping point with Jesus. He said, this man is of God. And they're saying, no, he's not. He healed on the Sabbath. Later, Jesus hears that he's been kicked out of the temple and he finds him. And what he says to the man is quite incredible to me. He finds him. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? I know what the answer to the lame man would be. No, of course not. I got my healing. I don't even know who the Son of God is. And the man says, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe? And Jesus says, You've both seen him, and it's he who's talking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He worshipped him. I believe. And worship came from that. You see, he had a tipping point. When he could see, he knew God did it. And the temple leaders tried to discredit God. And he wouldn't let them do that because this was a true miracle. And you're not going to take what I believe away from me. That's what he said. This happened to me. You can't tell me it wasn't God because only God can do stuff like that. He wasn't going, I don't care if he broke the Sabbath or not. He's not worried about that. He's more focused on what God can do rather than what the rules are. In other words, 
You can try and tell me what to do and what I need to do, but God has opened my eyes to see who He really is. And God gets to tell me what to do, not you. It's a powerful story where he hit that tipping point and he wasn't going to untip. And there's a story in Luke. I love this too. The healing of ten lepers. There's ten lepers begging for healing, crying out to Jesus, have mercy. And Jesus says to them in Luke 17, He says, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they're going, they are healed. This is one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned around and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks for the healing. Thanking him. So Jesus answers him and says, Well, wasn't ten of you cleansed? Where's the other nine? Was no one here brought to give glory to God but this man who's a foreigner? Then he looks at him and says, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In the ninth chapter with the blind man and in Luke with this healing, both of them come back to Jesus and they thank you and worship Him. Why? Didn't the man who was lame for 38 years? It's a pretty good miracle. Pretty big for him. But no gratitude. No thankful heart. Why is that? Hello and welcome to the Waking Up to Grace podcast where we celebrate and explore the finished work of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The Waking Up to Grace podcast can be found on every major platform. And now, here's Lenny. Why does the blind man and the one in ten come to worship but not the lame man. You think maybe he was entitled? You think maybe he thought, I deserve this healing. I've been praying for 38 years. I deserve it. No matter the answer to his reason why, each one of us have an answer to whether or not we believe and worship Jesus Christ. In the story of the ten lepers that I just shared with you, what Jesus asks this man isn't what we hear in English translated the same way. When he says, and sees the man worshiping him, and Jesus says, wasn't we're ten cleansed? We're out of nine. Now, we understand that to mean, where'd they go? Why aren't they here? Right? But I wanted to be sure that I heard what Jesus was asking correctly. And the Greek word there is a word that has two meanings. What he's saying is, what place are they in right now? What place? And place can be like this. 
Well, I'm in Palestine. My mind's in Chicago, on lunch, on uh, the end of the sermon, end of the service, whatever. What place are you in means, what's your mindset? Where's your heart? What place are you in, in terms of who you are as a person, not physically? That word means both. Jesus says, what kind of place are those guys in that they don't come back? One in ten get it. The remnant in Israel with Elijah was one in ten. They didn't bow to Baal. Ten percent. Think about that for a second. At what place were the healed people who gave thanks and worshiped Jesus in? Weren't they in a place of gratitude? And acknowledging that their healing came from God? Wasn't that their place? Why is it that some of us believe in Jesus, but it's still a phenomenon? Is it because we pray and sometimes we don't get the answers we want? Or we believe something's wrong with us or God? Or we do get the answers we want and we're so thankful that we got them that we forget who gave them because we're out of the swamp, if you will, or trouble. I remember this story. I don't know if you remember this. The End. Did you ever see that movie? Old movie of Burt Reynolds. He wants to die. And so he's out in the middle of the ocean, miles from shore, trying to swim out there to die. Because he doesn't want to live anymore. And he's out there in the middle of the ocean. He goes, you know, actually I think I have something to live for. God, I actually want to live. As a matter of fact, God, if you'll get me back to shore so I can live, because I'm wearing out of strength and energy, I'll go to church every Sunday and Wednesday. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll get 20% of all I got right away and 80% of all that I got coming in to you. If you'll just save me. He swims a little further. You hear his story start to change. Well, God, shore is a little closer. I'm thinking maybe 60% is what I'll give you. And maybe 10% right away. And, and you know, I might miss a Wednesday. And, uh, you know, and, and I'll read the Bible, you know, as often as I can. And he starts getting a little closer and he says, God, you know, that's a lot of money. And, and I can touch bottom now. And I can walk in. I think I'll just... Say thanks and that'll be it. Some of us are like that. We're out of the foxhole. But we're not in the arms of Christ. What did the blind man see that the lame man didn't? What did the lepers experience that the lame men didn't. Jesus gave them both, all three instructions. The first one to the lame man was pick up your mat and walk. He didn't say pick up your mat and walk a long distance. He just says pick it up and walk. To the blind man, he said go wash in the pool of Siloam. To the lepers, he says go present yourself to the priests. And they start going in their heel along the way. One comes back. Why did that one come back? 
I've, all, I've always wanted that. But I want to tell you why that one came back. Because Jesus told him to present himself to the priests. And in the moment, on the way to the temple, he realized Jesus is the priest. And I'm going to show me to him. And I'm going to show my heart to him. How thankful I am he's done for me and can do for me what I can't do for myself. I'm coming to him. And he falls on his face to worship. Samaritan, unwelcome by anybody else. And Jesus says, you're welcome here. You're an example of healing and gratitude. You are welcome here. He just wants us to acknowledge who he is. And be grateful for the things he does for us. I have a person who said something recently and it really surprised me. I want to close with this story. It's really good. I asked him how he was doing. He said, Jesus is alive. I'm doing great. I've heard people say that before. What do you mean? He said, well, isn't he alive every day? He said, yes, he is. And every day is a great day. And I, and I said, what do you mean? It's great. I'm, I'm going, yeah, I, I know Jesus is alive. And I know because Jesus is alive, you know, he can bring me through all things and all this else. He said, because there was a time in my life, I didn't believe that. But when I realized Jesus rose from the dead, and he's alive now, and he's alive tomorrow, and he's alive the next day, Everything he said then must be true. And I'm going to live in those promises he made me. Somewhere when he realized that Jesus is alive, he hit the tipping point to say, and he's alive in me now. And if he's alive in me, it doesn't matter what happens. It's a great day. I said, I like that. Have you hit your tipping point? Have you tipped over and fallen onto the grace of Christ? The blind man finally sees, but the lame man can't. And the lepers are cleansed. And rather than going to the mainstream, they go to the one who does the healing. The one that finds true healing. <coughs> Where are you in this? Have you hit your tipping point? Are you all the way over 100% convinced of who Christ is? This, my friends, is the primary and ultimate question we must answer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's not easy to take a deep look at ourselves and see if we're honest about who we are and our struggles. But I know this, you love us in the midst of them. You love us and you call us to healing and restoration. And this morning I ask that if there's some of us here who are uncertain, who haven't hit that tipping point that right now we'd say, Lord, I believe. Whatever part of me is resisted that, Lord, wipe it out because I, I can't live without your grace. Your mercy every single day. I fall on your grace now. And I thank you that in the name of Jesus, 
I can worship and be thankful for all the provisions of life you've given. Amen.